Welcome to Generous Impact. This is Brett Brummett. And this is Amanda Brummett. We are joined today by Jamie Cabrera, Vice President of Advancement for Girls, Inc. of Metropolitan Dallas. In this episode, you'll hear how Girls, Inc. delivers life-changing programs and experiences that equip girls to overcome serious barriers to grow up strong, smart, and bold. And before we dive in, big thanks to our friend Leanne Hinkle for introducing us to Jamie and for her time volunteering with Girls, Inc. All right. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate your time. And I would love for you to start by telling our listeners about your background, who you are personally and professionally. Wonderful. Thanks, Amanda. I personally lived and was born and raised in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. So that's where I come from. We have, I would say, the world's steepest incline is maybe <laughs> our claim to fame. Grew up Western Pennsylvania outside of Pittsburgh. So I'm certainly a Steelers fan, which doesn't always go over well in Dallas. I have lived in a number of different states. A lot of that was just kind of wanting to see the U.S. and, and check out some places and then also some career moves. So been been to a lot of different places and now find myself home here in Texas, live um, just north of Dallas with my husband and our two rescue dogs, Hank and Lola. <laughs> and so I always joke to my husband that retirement for me will probably be buying a ranch and saving all the dogs. <laughs> so that kind of is definitely central to to my heart and to my world is rescue dogs. And professionally, I'm the vice president of advancement here at Girls Inc. Dallas. My career has spanned a number of different types of organizations, uh, different sizes, primarily in the healthcare sector, originally in large health systems to private practices. And then, you know, in the recent years, transitioned to the nonprofit sector, where I find myself now. And as Vice President of Advancement at Girls Inc., I oversee all of our fund development, marketing, communications, events, and soon to kick off advocacy. So have a lot of lot of hats that I wear, um, but really excited about all of them. I love your retirement plan. <laughs> Thank you. It doesn't, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like that would be retirement, but maybe just the next chapter. <laughs> Well, and I'm I'm glad you defined where you were in Pennsylvania because I was like, do I look at a map so I know exactly where she's talking about? Now I understand. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm geographically challenged when it comes to places that aren't Texas, which I think is probably <laughs> a Texan trait to all of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so as you went through that, you kind of touched a little bit on you know different organizations over the course of your career. When I was looking back at just through your LinkedIn profile. It looks like you have a long history of high-level positions and organizations, which a super impressive. And seeing you do that, and I'm assuming you don't go from one to the other without being successful in them. So, you know, what led you to have this long history of not only volunteering but then participating at high levels? Yeah. Well, I got I started working, you know, right in freshman year of college to pay the bill. <laughs> so, and, and just kind of fell into the healthcare environment in that way. I went to University of Pittsburgh and the medical center was right on campus. And so I found myself doing scheduling registration jobs throughout the hospital um, and just getting some hands-on experience in healthcare operations, you know, kind of like from the very first view of meeting a patient and checking them in and that sort of thing. So um, then I think I was pretty fortunate in terms of, you know, meeting individuals in positions. And, you know, after college, I was able to go on to actually work full time in a clinic. 
and then started to learn the ropes. Found a really amazing mentor who's still one of my mentors today. And she really showed me the ropes of, you know, being able to work my way into positions of management and leadership over departments in the hospital setting. And so for me, I just, just actually love to lead. It feels like something that just comes naturally for me is to always be learning more and always be doing more. And so really was able to, you know, show success and demonstrate what I was able to, to achieve and continue to learn and grow throughout a number of different organizations and positions and just really excelled because I think, you know, I put in the work, learned the things and really dedicated myself to it and enjoyed it, which I think is really important and certainly find myself now in the nonprofit sector, you know, much of a link from some of that healthcare experience to my first role in the nonprofit sector in maternal child health specifically, but really realized that I have to be driven by the purpose and the work and it has to be meaningful. And so for me, it doesn't feel like work. I know that's cliche, but it really doesn't. It feels like this is what I'm here to do and and I've got a purpose. And so being good at what I do is important to me. Cool. So leadership, working for girls ain't now, but always excelling at a leader as a female, was that ever a hard process for you to, when you feel naturally inclined to that? And obviously there are some social barriers from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to date myself, <laughs> but certainly had worked at a number of large organizations where, you know, leadership teams are primarily male and being a young female in that environment wasn't always easy. And so I do feel like I had to, I felt like I had to work harder, whether somebody put that on me or I put that on myself. I felt like I really had to speak up to be heard and to have a voice and really had to, you know, go in 110%. To, to be noticed and to be successful. So, and it is interesting, the link directly to what we do at Girls Inc. is, you know, empowering mm-hmm. girls to be strong, smart, and bold, and really ensuring that they feel that they have a seat at the table and that they are in every position of leadership that's available. There are women there um, and that they have women to look up to and they can see themselves in their role. And so for me, that was really helpful to have women mentors and women leaders who could coach me. And also along the way, I felt there were a lot of male leaders that really recognized my experience and my skill set and helped me to stand in front of the audience and say, she deserves this promotion. You know, she's got what it takes. And so I think having the right people in your corner to have that support and to stand beside you and allow you to lead, I think is really important because it it certainly isn't easy being a woman, you know, in, in, in a field that is primarily men you know, in certain industries. And so it, it really helps to find your people and your support and your your mentors and coaches that will stand beside you. Before I let Amanda ask her question, do you have you found differences between the nonprofit world and the for-profit world in those roles? That's a great question. I feel, <laughs> let's see, I feel the nonprofit world in my experience has um, been less competitive I would I would say in terms of getting the leadership position and 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 the competitiveness I feel is just different in the nonprofit sector I feel like there's a lot of let's lift each other up we're all here we're passionate about the work we're doing and um, where in the for-profit sector that can be very different you know we both have a revenue we both have a bottom line we we have to hit targets and we have to meet goals but I think there was definitely for me more competitiveness in the for-profit sector 
when it came to certain levels of the organization and, you know, who was going to step up and, and who took on what role. And Jamie, I don't have the nonprofit experience, but I can definitely empathize with your experience in healthcare. I think we're close to the same age. And in the early 2000s, being a woman in you know, the C-suite of, of a healthcare organization was was still pretty rare. Now, it's amazing 25 years later, and it's it's you know, pretty equal, which I love seeing. But yeah, I am curious, uh, is, that, is that part of why you went back and got your master's? That's a great question. It is. So when I found myself in that particular role, it, it was pretty evident that those with a master's degree were moving next, you know, to mm-hmm. a director or VP yeah. level. And so, so it is. And it's interesting because going to get my master's at UCLA in the public health sector in an executive program, which allowed mm-hmm. me to continue to work and go to school full time, that's actually what shifted my, just my perspective. And, and a lot of what kind of, I think, laid the foundation for my transition to the, for, to the nonprofit sector, because yeah. I think in that experience, I really had my eyes open to not just health of individuals and health care, but mm-hmm. health of communities at that population level and recognizing quickly that those who live without you know, running water or access to food who are unhoused, you know, live at, in low-income communities and have no access to resources, cannot be physically healthy, cannot mm-hmm. be mentally healthy, and certainly won't go on to, you know, do well in school, hold a job and be a successful person and, you know, be a, a successful member of the community. And so for me, that that what was kind of selfish <laughs> in getting that mm-hmm. master's to help propel my career also really led to the transition of my career and some of the way that I thought about health and healthcare to move into the nonprofit sector to really work in more meaningful work, in my opinion. Awesome. Yeah, sounds like you were learning about social determinants of health before people yes. were talking about that, which <laughs> yeah. I think very forefront in LA, having gone to that other university in town. Yeah. <laughs> yes, our rival. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely something they were talking about. Okay, well, let's get into what we actually came here to talk about, which is Girls Inc. Yeah. Amazing organization. Big thank you to our friend Leanne Hinkle for introducing us. I've had several friends that have been mentors for you guys, and they always have such positive things to say. So tell us about Girls Inc. Absolutely. So we're a local nonprofit, although we are a member of a national affiliate. So there are 76 affiliates across the U.S. and Canada. We deliver after-school and out-of-school programming here in the Dallas area. Primarily, girls ages 6 to 18 participate in the programming that we deliver, although we recently launched a new program that I'm really proud about. It's called Project Accelerate, and basically, it's now focused on girls ages 18 to 24 so that we can help support them through that continuum from high school graduation to early college and career readiness. Um, so that's a, a really new fun program that we're working on. But we do serve a very large range of ages. And we deliver our programming here. I'm sitting in Love Field campus near the airport. And we also have a location in South Dallas near Fair Park. And so girls do come to our campuses for programming. And then we also partner with all of, I should say a number of, we're not there yet with all of the local ISDs. But we do have a number of growing partnerships where we deliver our pro-girl, all-girl programming in school where the girls are daily. So a lot of collaborations and partnerships that help make us successful and allow us to reach more girls. 
our girls are primarily living in low-income households, more than 75%. And even more than that, the majority are living in communities of color and our BIPOC community. So really focusing on delivering programming and support to girls who need us most. Amazing. Absolutely. You know, and Girls Inc. being such a longstanding organization, I'm sure that comes with a lot of pride of being part of that, even a local affiliate to the, the parent organization and the other affiliates. What are some of the most challenging initiatives? I know you mentioned the Excel program for Accelerate. What, what are the, some of the most challenging issues you currently have underway now? And in the lens of, are you able to draw confidence to get through those challenging developments because of what you've done before, what you and the other affiliates have done previously? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I think one thing that, that really helps us to continue to be successful is that we're able to make adjustments and be agile. We have to deliver programming that's relevant and, and that's, you know, data driven, evidence based. So we know that it works. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it is impactful. We have our own data that shows that the outcomes are there, that girls are achieving great things. And, and some of that comes with adjusting along the way and making quick adjustments because of what's happening in the world. So our girls are dealing with mounting pressures, social, social media culture, academic, even financial insecurities. And it's one of the things that sticks with me is a CDC put out a recent report on youth risk behavior. And I think the number is 25% of teen girls have planned to commit suicide. And then a portion of those have actually attempted suicide. And so we know that it's just the staggering amount of young girls and specific teenage girls who are enduring all of these pressures and trying to, you know, get, get through these barriers and overcome is, is, it's growing. And so that's one example of where we, we now have programming specifically focused on mental health and what are their social needs. We look at wellness and yoga really how do we help them build confidence and and self affirmations and how do we help them you know make positive choices about their body and a number of other things that they're really dealing with day in and day out that again if they can't if they can't get past those things and they don't have the right tools or resources to make adjustments on their own and they don't have the support that they need they can't be successful you know in academics or just you know showing up for school or even graduation so for us, it's really making those adjustments. Additionally, we've created a curriculum around DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, with social unrest and a number of events that had happened and the murder of George Floyd, you know, our staff was was grappling with emotions and feelings, and so were our girls. And so those are things that I think have, have really allowed us to continue to deliver really important programming, but also be agile enough to make adjustments in what that the topics are that we're having conversations with the girls about and what kind of support they need as they navigate the complexities and that, you know, ever-changing uh, social and political environment. So, so for us, I think it's, it's really having a stellar team who can listen and hear what the girls need and the schools are telling us what the girls need and we're able to make adjustments and really, you know, meet, meet their needs and be able to adapt accordingly. Yeah. That is, that's amazing to see all that, the change and the ability to pivot and for pulling the heartstrings, you know, getting into the teenage girl existence, because yeah. that has got to be one of the, like, yeah. <laughs> I got to be a teenage boy. I would do it a hundred times again over ever being a teenage girl in today's era. <laughs> I, we, we had two 
through our family. And wow, thankfully, you know, they navigated well. Yeah. And I don't think everyone, obviously everyone doesn't. And so. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. It's <laughs> Yeah. We need to we need to get them set up to be mentors with Girls Inc. Yes. They're 21 and 23, so we're, we're yes. getting there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I know early on you said or alluded to money and staying profitable and keeping an organization moving forward. And that is a hugely significant part of your responsibility. And I think it's one of those things that sometimes, you know, in both sets of the worlds, the nonprofit, the for-profit sector, like sometimes no one wants to talk about money for some reason. So how does your team internally talk about fundraising and the monetary stewardship? Yeah, great question. So we we also try to not isolate fundraising to a single team. We're really trying to build a strong culture of philanthropy throughout the organization. And so we are we're doing activities, we're all engaged in ways that we can help raise funds for the organization from programming staff to the development team, you know, to the CEO and anybody that works here. So we'll do, we'll do team activities of writing thank you letters to donors, or we'll do peer-to-peer fundraising on social media for big campaigns. And then really, the thing I think is to, to remember that it's really about relationships and it, it's about engaging those who donate, whether it be a corporate partner, an individual, or a foundation engaging them in the work that we do so they actually can see the impact that it has and they get to you know see the accomplishments the girls are achieving in some way. So for us it's more relational. It's definitely something that entire organization takes on and owns and we do it collectively, we collaborate. But I really think the the most important thing is that we are able to either allow the girls to share their stories, their personal experiences um, or we can share them in some way that is really impactful because that's why we're here. And so being able to allow donors to tell us what their priorities are and then see how that really aligns with the work that we're doing, doing events where the girls get to meet donors and and corporate partners and, and again, seeing themselves in a role of a successful, influential businesswoman. So I think it's a lot of, you know, it's a two-way street. I think it's really about engagement and relationships. Um, and then, you know, hopefully they'll be so compelled <laughs> to get involved in some yeah. way, whether that be donations or volunteerism or collaboration in other ways. So for, for us, it's just kind of who we are and it's embedded in all that we do. We know that the funds are critical for us to continue our work and to serve more girls. And, and that's why we're here. So we're, we're, all, we're all part of making that happen. Well, Jamie, it sounds like Girls Inc. Dallas has accomplished a lot already, but you also sound like you're you're always growing, you're always improving using that data and evidence to figure out what's next. So where are you guys headed? What's what's your next project? Yeah, well, we have a lot of work to do that I'm really excited about. We kind of joke internally that, you know, we inspire the girls to be strong, smart, and bold, but we actually walk that walk. So our growth goals are bold. And we are aiming, we're, we're working on strategic planning currently and looking at the next, you know, number of years and, and what growth would look like. And we served just under 4,000 girls last year annually. Our goal is to serve more than 4,000 this year annually. And then our ultimate goal is to serve 10,000 girls annually. So you can see we've got a lot of work to do, but the reason it's so important to us is because there is such a great need. We know that we're not reaching the majority of the girls that that need programming like we can offer. We know that girls primarily from low-income communities 
lack after school and out of school programming, only 12% of low income individuals have access to those types of programs. And that's specific to youth. And so for us, there's no question that we have to grow and we have to serve 10,000 girls a year. So we are in the early phases of planning a capital and growth campaign, which we will launch, you know, in the coming year, I would say, without quoting me. <laughs> but but we really, here's where we really need to look to the future and really kick off that planning for capital and growth and be able to fund that. And, and that's exponential growth to be able to serve that 10,000 girls annually. So we'll need to grow incrementally in our you know, general operating revenue, and then we'll have to launch a, a really large and significant campaign. And that's because we're really assessing now what will our facilities look like? Will we have, you know, a large facility centrally located where we can, you know, use transportation to bring the girls here, coupled with a combination of community centers where we'll actually serve the girls where they physically live? And so there'll be a model that's new um, that we'll launch and certainly need a lot of funding for a physical location and transportation and our community partnerships. So a lot of work will go into that. But you know, it's it's necessary to be able to continue to scale and and to serve more girls. And it is bold and we're excited about it. And we know that we will be successful. It will just be a matter of, you know, taking those next steps and working with the public and our donors, community partners and corporate partners as well to really be successful and see the vision all the way through so that we can serve those girls. That is bold and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, and super, super inspiring to think of going from, you know, 4,000 to 10,000 and just the impact that'll make on who you're targeting. Super inspirational. What or who inspires you today? Who do you draw from? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I have to say the day to day, it's the girls. And, you know, honestly, I, you, you can't imagine it until you're in it. But when I'm here working and, you know, you get a lot of no's in fundraising <laughs> before you get yeses, you know, or you're having a rough day and you know the things that you need to get done and, and your head's down and all of a sudden like 345 hits and you hear screaming and yelling and laughing and the girls are coming in from the bus and they're getting ready to get their little snacks and, you know, before programming starts. And you just, you know, pop your head in and they're like, hi, Miss Jamie, how are you? You know, and they want to talk to you and they think you're cool and it's exciting. That's that's what inspires me is knowing that that we're able to provide a safe place for girls to come and to learn and to have mentorship and and education. That's truly why I'm here. It's it's what drives me every day to wake up and do this work. And and I think of one specific girl that really stands out because I've I've, I've been able to just work with her one on one over the past year. And her and I we were invited to speak at a, a corporate event, a dinner for fundraising. And we were preparing and she she sent me her talking points. And she, mind you, is a junior in high school. Now she's in senior year, but this was still in her junior year. And she sends her talking points and I'm reading through them. And, and she's talking about how Girls Inc. has given her the confidence to stand up in front of a group of hundreds of successful business people and tell her story because she knows that that's going to help other girls you know, want to join Girls Inc. and people to want to fund and support Girls Inc. And, and that that's made such a difference in her life and, and just given her that ability that she wouldn't have, you know, had and an opportunity she wouldn't have had 
and she's confident in doing it. It just, it touched me. And I thought to myself, here I was a little nervous to stand up and talk in front of hundreds of business people because, you know, I care. So I still get nervous, but she's a junior in high school and she's going to stand up there with confidence. And she relays this message that's inspiring. And she is the reason that we're here. So when I think of our girls and I think of that girl in particular with the confidence and the ability and the support that she needs to, to be confident and stand up there and do this thing and how successful she's going to be years from now, that's what inspires me. Honestly, that's why I show up every day just to be able to say that, you know, whatever I do, whatever funds I can raise, whatever awareness that we can raise, it will help the girls that, that need it most and, and they will be successful. So. That's who inspires me. Pretty cool. Do you have like video that you have to go back and play on repeat when you need to pick me up? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I should just have a button and it's the girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Jamie, I find your your career path fairly inspiring. It seems like that was a very intentional decision that you made to make that jump. There are other people that are in healthcare or other other industries and they're thinking of taking a risk and moving into the nonprofit world, what what advice would you give them? Good question. And I have to be fully transparent. There was a there was sort of a, a moment and actually it was a number of years that I think gave me the courage to to make the leap when I became a mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters Colorado. I met my mentee when she was eight and she just turned 20. In October. So we have been together for a long time. And she, she lives in an environment um, similar to a lot of girls that we serve, low income, community of color, incarcerated parents, you know, history of violence and substance use, a number of things that really just, you know, throw a curveball at everything she tries to do. And so I've learned with her to navigate or at least attempt to navigate what is a very complex system and CPS and mental health visits and and a number of things. And so for me, that was what just really kind of solidified things for me. It's like, gosh, I could be doing something different to help others and ensure that people have access to resources. And for me, that direct link between being in a healthcare environment and having connections and being able to call a therapist or call a doctor and ask questions or help get direction on what to do. That really, for me, was just what what really gave me the courage to say, I should be doing this every day for a living. You know, I, I want to work in an environment where I can make a difference. So that really gave me the courage, I would say, which is really hard because going from the for-profit to nonprofit sector financially is you know, it's, it's a challenge. It's a sacrifice. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you're, you're very honest. Yeah. You have to have a lot of conversations about, you know, financials. And so there's that kind of type A personality that is the planner in me. That's like, what is feasible? But then what really took over what the practical was, what is my heart saying? And it was like, this is what you want to do. And this is where you need to be. So I think that that was important. Having that courage came from my personal desire to do something different because I did get a lot of no's before I got a yes. You know, not a lot of folks still that I talk to just don't believe that you can transition successfully because they're different. They're different. So I did get rejection and that was hard because I felt like, wow, I, th- I feel like I'm successful in the healthcare industry. And I've, I've had these really, what I call successful positions and I was getting no's, I was getting rejections. So it's finding the right organization at the right time 
And when I went to work for Colorado's Perinatal Quality Collaborative, I was able to link my healthcare experience with the work that we were doing in that public health nonprofit area. And so for me, that was also, I think, helped make the transition easier because I knew the content. I knew the language. I spoke, you know, I spoke that and I had the experience and I was well-respected by individuals that we worked with because of that experience. So I think it's finding the right organization, it's the right timing, because it is transferable, in my opinion. You know, the skills that you can learn and apply in the for-profit sector definitely translate to the nonprofit sector. But I think it's finding that right, that right fit for you as an individual based on your specific experience. So that that's the advice I would give is definitely, you know, you, your heart has to be in it because <laughs> a lot of the day, like the money isn't what's driving you, it's the purpose. And finding the right mission and vision that really fits your personal desires and certainly if it fits your past experience, that definitely, definitely helps. It helps you get the job and helps you really be successful when you're there. Um, by the way, Amanda, are you trying to tell me that you're trying to jump in the nonprofit sector? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But it, it was a similar decision point it leaving was. the the protection of a of a you know, large for-profit organization yeah. and starting yeah. my own thing. Yeah. 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 Well. <laughs> oh, and, I, and I remember when you were considering that at one point in time, the decision factors going through that and it was substantial and it was scary. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm I have to give a shout out to shout yeah. out to my husband <laughs> who, yeah, who was, who was patient and, and very supportive and collaborative in the whole <laughs> process. <laughs> Nice. Same. I, I went from being the breadwinner to the not breadwinner. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Yeah, yeah. I went from I went from playing around to having to work. So <laughs> all works out. It all works out. Um, so, so Jamie, what can our community do for you and for Girls Inc? Yeah, it's so easy to help us and to get involved. And the most simple way is to you know just be an ambassador in terms of share our stuff on social media, follow us, like us. The more we can raise awareness about what we're doing and the impact that it has is so beneficial. And so that's the easy one. That's free. It takes no time. It's just clicks, likes, forwards. So that's really helpful. You know, tell your friends, tell your network. And then there's always ways to engage. We don't do as much one-on-one volunteering because of our very specific programming that we deliver, but we definitely have a lot of opportunities for group volunteering to help us put kits together. We do hygiene kits, calming kits, a number of really cool little kits that our girls can get that corporate partners can do as activities. We also have really fun, engaging volunteer group activities like mock interviewing or how to professionally network for those the, the young women who are really looking to get into college and early career. We help them in those ways. So it can be, be a lot of fun to volunteer. And then certainly donations are always, you know, something we need. And that can look like individual donations or a lot of corporations have matching gifts. So your gift can be doubled. And even on certain certain days, like Giving Tuesday, it could be tripled. So really a lot of opportunities for folks to get involved and help support us financially or through volunteerism or just helping us raise awareness about the work that we're doing and and how much support we need as we think about that bold growth goal. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your vision and your personal history with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. 
While I am so impressed with Girls Inc.'s agile, data-driven, and evidence-based programming, and I'm really glad that Jamie found her way to the organization so that she can continue to build confidence, self-affirmation, and drive positive decisions for girls. If you want to learn more about how to equip girls to overcome serious barriers to grow up strong, smart, and bold, check them out at girlsincdallas.org.